How's everybody doing today? Well, it is, it is so good uh, to be with you today, to be able to worship with you today. Again, if my name is Jeremy, uh, or not if, it is. Uh, my name is Jeremy, and if I have uh, not met you or you are new, man, I would encourage you to come introduce yourself to me. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, don't worry, I know that Jason's been gone a little bit. In fact, I think this is the first time that I've preached back-to-back weeks in my five years here at Solid Rock, and so uh, Jason's okay. Uh, I love the opportunity that he gives um, uh, people like me and then you know our other members of the preaching team opportunities just to be able to open God's Word with you and to walk through God's Word with you, and so I consider that an esteemed privilege And I'm excited to be with you today as we continue in this Ephesians series. So we did start this Ephesians series last week. Uh, And before we do uh, go into the next section, I just want to talk a little bit about somebody that I actually admire a whole, whole lot in my life, and it's my father-in-law. My father-in-law, his name is Teddy. Uh, And I'm not saying this to get son-in-law bonus points, okay? That's not what I'm going for. Uh, But one of the reasons that I admire my father-in-law so much is because he's just the type of guy that is just really heartfelt and others-focused in everything that he does. Do you know somebody like that? He is that guy for me. And one of the biggest ways that I see this manifested is in his prayers, I remember the first time that I heard him uh, pray, uh, it was just so sweet. Um, And, you know, it's just something I could just listen to for hours and hours and hours. Um, When he prays, it's just so powerful and it's so heartfelt. And he really, really means it. He has the person in mind that he's praying for when he's praying. And I I just find that to be so admirable. I find that to be something that uh, I I desire in, in my own prayer life. And so why, why do I talk about that today? Why do I talk about how incredible and heartfelt and deeply focused, others focused, uh, that my father-in-law is? Well, here's why. Because in today's passage, we're going to see that same kind of practice from, from Paul on behalf of the Ephesian people. We're going to see a prayer from Paul that is so deep and so others focused that we can't help but emulate what we see from here in Paul, who, of course, is emulating Christ. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, before we do, I do want to recap last week in case you weren't here. So when we were opening the, the uh, series last week, we talked about these several incredible blessings that we have as Christ followers in Christ, blessings such as being chosen before the foundation of the world to be his people. Uh, Blessings like being adopted into God's family. Blessings like receiving redemption through Jesus, resulting in the forgiveness of sins. And then finally, one of the spiritual blessings that we receive as believers in Christ, we talked about last week, is having our salvation sealed or guaranteed in the Holy Spirit. And these were promises that Paul encouraged these Ephesian Christians with and that he encouraged us with. Why? So that it would spur them on and spur us on toward deep-rooted worship of the Lord. That was last week. And why are we spurred on toward that? Because of our spiritual blessings? Because it's God and God alone who is worthy of it. Amen? 
And so, with, with that background, with that recap of last week, that's going to take us into this week. And so, last week, as we talked about these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, we were just kind of exposed to those, we, were, we discovered what those are. So now, for this week, we are going to be looking at what we, as Christ followers, should be doing for one another as the church, and this is going to be rooted in this concept of prayer. And these prayers that we're going to see from Paul, it's really one big prayer with multiple parts, is, is really going to spur us on to do the very same thing for one another as the church. And so, if you have your Bible, please take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 23. If you do not own a Bible, there should be one underneath your seat that you are more than welcome to have. That is our gift to you. Before I open God's word today and we walk through God's word together, I think it's important to pray for God's anointing in that and for God to direct me and to direct us as we open his word together. So would you briefly pray pray with me, please? Uh, Father, I thank you for the opportunity to herald your word today. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to um, just study it together with the church, this body of believers. Lord, help me to speak truth, not that it would be about Jeremy, but it would be about you, Lord. Thank you that we have this privilege to open your word together, to learn from your word, to model it in our own lives. And Lord, would you give us what you have for us today and would we have the open ears and open hearts to receive it. It's in your name I pray, amen. So, um, I, I like to keep it like three bullet points, and you know we uh, we move on through this real quickly, and so um, that's what I want this morning to be about. So the first point that we get from this passage is this: that as the church, the first thing that we should be doing through prayer is to show thankfulness for the evidence of grace in a believer's life. To be thankful for the evidence of grace that we see in a believer's life. And so take a look with me at verses 15 and 16. Remember, Paul has just talked about all these spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, and then he says this, for this reason, for those spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So in light of this opening section where we saw God's work for believers in Ephesus and then for us as well, of course, Paul then goes on to express his gratitude for these Ephesian people. He begins with this note of encouragement reflecting on what he has heard about them. It's likely that he has not met all of the Ephesian believers. I I, I would venture to say, I don't know this to be true for sure, but I would venture to say that that God was constantly adding believers to these churches in Ephesus and all over the area on a daily basis. So there's no way that he could have had a personal relationship with all of them. However, that did not stop Paul from praying for them, did it? He prayed for them. And we see this combination of not only a thankful prayer to God, but also this public commendation of them. Right, he is recognizing them for this faith that they are showing to the world around them. 
And he's thankful for really two things, two characteristics in these Christians' lives. First, it was for their faith in the Lord Jesus, and then it was for their love for one another. And if you think about it, these really are two essential qualities to the Christian life, aren't they? Faith and love. They are evidence of grace in a believer's life. We cannot have growth in our faith, and we cannot have love for the church without God's grace. He's the one that gives us that ability. In fact, in in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, by this all of you will know that you are my disciples, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And also notice, Paul's prayer isn't this one and done deal. He didn't pray for the Ephesian believers one time at some day in history and then boom, he checked the box and, and he was done. No, that, it, it was not that at all. For the Ephesian people, it says that he do, did not cease to give thanks for these Ephesian people, remembering them in his prayers, plural. The spirit here is, is a spirit of intentionality and purpose and consistency. In verses 15 and 16, we see a thankful, praying apostle. Prayers of thankfulness because he is hearing of how God, through his grace, is growing their faith and evidence of it being reflected in their love for one another. Man, what a testimony for the church. What a testimony for us as believers today and how we can be showing Jesus to the rest of the world. How often are we thanking God for the growing faith and love in another person's life? You know, in our world today, what you see instead is just so much criticism and negativity. It's so unbelievably easy to point out people's faults and to make people see their mess-ups and to point out when they fall short. Turn on the news. Think about your break room conversations. Scroll social media. No, don't do that. It's a terrible idea, actually. But if you look at those avenues, if you look at those mediums, you will find that it hardly takes more than 10 minutes, maybe even five minutes, before we are seeing somebody criticize someone else or building themselves at at the expense of pushing someone else down. However, it takes a mature believer to recognize God's grace in other people, to recognize how God is working in a believer's life and to commend that, to applaud that, because essentially you're applauding God, right? Because it's God who's doing it in their life. You know, some examples in which we could be doing this for other believers, I put some things down here. Perhaps these, these examples of recognition may include when a person is making a conscious effort to be in God's word more often. Man, good job reading your Bible this week. That may seem trivial, but it's not. Like you are commending someone for getting to know Jesus better. Man, what better way can we commend somebody? Another example, when a person's go-to response in a hard situation is prayer rather than trying to fix it themselves. Or when a person chooses not to engage in a conversation because they know it can lead to criticism and hurtfulness. Or perhaps we could commend somebody 
when, a, when they are serving in some capacity, including at the church. Hey, man, I recognize what you're doing in kids' ministry. I think it's awesome. Man, how encouraging is that? How encouraged were these Ephesian people when they read that from Paul? I guarantee you, they weren't like, ah, well, I did my part. I'm gonna go home now. No, they were encouraged, and I, I would venture to say that it spurred them on to serve Jesus even more. Let us thank God in our prayers for the evidence of grace in God's people, particularly when it comes to faith and love. Here's number two. As the church, the second thing that we should be doing through prayer is to ask God to open the spiritual eyes of believers. Now, I want to say real quick, we're talking about believers here. Obviously, there is a time in, in some people's lives where God opens the eyes of people who are non-believers and they come to know Jesus as their Savior. That is a wonderful thing, but that's not what, what this verse is talking about. We're talking about the spiritual eyes of believers to be open in that they are continuing to grow in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Listen to verses 17 through 20. Paul continues, he says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. You know, there are three key phrases in these, uh, these three or four verses that we just read that speak to this idea of God opening the eyes of believers. He uses uh, the phrase spirit of wisdom, he uses the word revelation, and then he uses the phrase having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What Paul is doing is he's asking God to give them spiritual eyes to see who God is and what, had, what God has done for him. And those spiritual eyes that are opened come through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand God's word. And the fancy theological word for this is the word illumination. Like on our own, we cannot fully comprehend what this word has to say without the Holy Spirit. We just can't. Yeah, you can read it and maybe have some head knowledge, but we're not just looking for head knowledge when we read God's word, are we? We're looking for that heart knowledge. How does this apply to me? What can I do with this? And the reason that we often fail to seek the Spirit's illumination is really twofold. One, it's because we often have an overinflated view of ourselves. We are tempted to, to feel self-sufficient as if we don't need God's help. And let me tell you, the first step to becoming a student of the Bible is to have a heart of humility that says, please God, give me understanding. It's not my job to speak truth into the Bible. It's my job to unearth truth from the Bible. Another reason that we often fail to seek the Spirit's illumination in our life is because we have a low view of God. Now, nobody's gonna come out and say that. But we often, in practice, will, sh will believe or show that we believe that, that God can't or won't help us. But man, that is not the view that we see Paul having in this passage. 
Did you notice that, that Paul called God the Father of glory? God is intimate, he's near, he is gracious to his people like a good father. He is glorious in his majesty and in his power. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which is uh, a book of the Bible that Paul also wrote, he links this idea of illumination for us to understand the scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's glory together. I want you to listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For God, who said, let light, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And there are at least two reasons here that Paul gives for why we need God to open our spiritual eyes. First of all, it's to know God better. This is what Paul's talking about when he uses this phrase, the revelation and the knowledge of him. In fact, he also says in the book of Colossians, something else that he also wrote, that he is praying that God would give believers wisdom so that they would continue to grow in the knowledge of God. We should have a desire to know God better. The beginning, middle, and end of the Christian life is about knowing God. It makes me think about uh, my wife in that Man, if I want to know my wife better, I need to pursue her. I need to desire every second I possibly can to know more about her, who she is, why she ticks. Okay, I can't just ask her how her day is. She says, fine, I'm like, oh, check the box. I'm good for today. I'll come back tomorrow. What? But how often do we do that with God? Oh, I did my five to seven minute devotional. I'm good. That does not reflect a desire to know God more. In fact, there's a book by J.I. Packer, incredible author, by the way. Um, it's called Knowing a God. And in this book, he gives four characteristics of what it looks like to truly know God, or at least to be pursuing God. You're never going to fully know him, of course, um, but that's why we should continue to do so because there's so much more to learn about God every single day. And he says this these are four characteristics of knowing God. A person who is truly desiring to know God has a great energy for God, has great thoughts of God, has a great boldness for God, and has a great contentment in God. Do you and I possess these characteristics this morning? Man, I say that to myself as well. Second reason that Paul gives for why we need our spiritual eyes opened is because we are able to know the blessings of the gospel better. Paul is praying that these Ephesian Christians and for us as well would know every spiritual blessing in Christ that comes from God. That's what we saw in verses 18 and 19. And there's three particular blessings that he uses in this, in this scripture that we just read, and I want to list those for you. First, he says the hope of his calling, that's a spiritual blessing that we have, which, by the way, is, is, an, is something else that God gives us. We talked about so many last week, and then he's referring to three different ones today. First, the hope of his calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul desires for Christians to receive these blessings, to own these blessings. And I want to talk about these three things for a minute. What do these mean? Because when I read these, I'll be honest, I read these and I'm like, the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. I, I really don't know what that means. 
I need to go look that up. I need to, to chew on that. And so just some thoughts that I, that I found in, in my research for, for this sermon this morning. First, the hope of his calling, what does that mean? Well, it refers to the glorious future resurrection, eternal life and freedom of sin that we have. Did you know that? Like, it's super easy to focus on the here and now, to be overwhelmed by the life that we have here and now, but there's so much more that we have to look forward to. There's this future thinking that we have to have. It doesn't mean that, you know, the day-to-day life we just disregard altogether, but God wants us to be looking forward to what we have in Him. A future resurrection, eternal life with Him in His presence, and freedom from sin. Man, I long for that day. This other spiritual blessing that Paul talks about when he says the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, what he's referring to is this understanding that believers are so precious to God. We are so precious to God that he considers us his own inheritance. And let that be something that encourages you when you're feeling unworthy. Let that be an encouragement to you when you're waking up again feeling like, man, I've don't even feel like I matter to anybody. All of us have felt it. But God calls you his inheritance. That's big. And then the third blessing that he talks about here is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe. Immeasurable. Greatness of his power to who? To us. To us. It's his power and his strength that God shows on behalf of his people. And he's actually going to talk a little bit more about this in this next section that we're, we're about to read. And here's why this is a big deal from a historical perspective. These Ephesian people, many of, the, many of them had come from some pretty rough backgrounds. They had been formerly caught up in things like, like magic and pagan cults and astrology and emperor worship, they feared hostile spiritual forces. And so what Paul is doing, he knows that, of course, and so what he's doing when he talks about these spiritual blessings is he is assuring them that God's power is supreme over all of these ungodly things. Hey, Ephesian people, God is more than your past. God is more than what pagan people around you are practicing and maybe making you feel pretty uh, discouraged. We need that reminder too, don't we? And we live in a world that's so ugly. We live in a world that is so overwhelming. We live in a world where we often forget that God's power is more than anything that this world has to offer. And so what do we do? We let worry and temptation and doubt have power over us instead. We let these things blind us to the truth of what we know about God and about the gospel. It makes me think of when when I'm not wearing my glasses or, or my contacts, right? Some of you may be able to relate to this. When you don't have those in, you look in front of you and it's blurry, isn't it? You can't, you can barely see what's in front of you. However, when I have the tools that I need to help me see better, whether that's my glasses or my contacts, things are so much different. They are so much more clear. And so in a similar way, when we 
ask God to open our spiritual eyes, he gives us the power to overcome sin, to pursue holiness, and to have great faith in what he's called us to do as believers. Be encouraged by that today, church. And would we be praying that for each other? That one another's spiritual eyes would be opened. In a recap, we talked about how through prayer we should show thankfulness for the evidence of grace in a believer's life. We should, through prayer, uh, ask God to open the spiritual lives of other believers. And then finally, here's the third thing. As a church, through prayer, we should praise God for his infinite power shown in Christ. Listen to these last set of verses, verses 20 through 23. And actually, let me, let me start at verse 19 since these others are a continuation. Paul says, Paul says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This power that Paul talks about here is shown in how God has elevated or exalted Jesus in four different aspects. First God, first, God exalted Jesus through the resurrection. In his infinite power, God has done what no man could do. He raised Jesus from the dead. Now make no mistake, that doesn't mean that God is somehow more powerful than Jesus. Think of the Trinity, three in one. But because of sin, you know, we think about death because of sin, we know that all of us will face death, yet because of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have to fear death. Because of the resurrection, life has meaning. Because of the resurrection, what we do on this earth matters. That's what it means for God to exalt Jesus through the resurrection. The resurrection gives believers this enormous hope and sufficient power for living a life of service to God. Secondly, God exalted Jesus through his enthronement. Jesus is not only alive, but the Bible says that he is reigning as the king of the universe forevermore. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, He is the radiance of of the glory of God, talking about Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By his power, Jesus upholds the universe, and if he is doing this, I promise you, Christ follower, you, we can trust him with our problems. There is nothing in this world that you will face that his power can't handle. Third, God exalted Jesus through his supremacy. Jesus is superior to everything. There is no authority 
in this world. There is no person in this world that supersedes Jesus. In fact, listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. After Paul has given this incredible example of humility from Jesus, listen to what he says in verse 9, starting in verse 9. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, one day, every single person will bow down to Jesus. That's the guy that we call our Father. That's the guy that we can run to when life is hard. And then finally, God exalted Jesus through his headship. It's kind of a, a, a weird phrase, but we see it in verse 22 when Paul is talking about how Christ is the head over the church. In fact, the church is described as his body. And later on in Ephesians, we'll unpack this at some point in the future, um, we'll look more at that relationship between Jesus and the church. But it's interesting that in verse 22, Paul says the church is Christ's fullness. It's Jesus who fills the church, not just with people, but with his blessings and with his presence. Therefore, the church is entirely dependent on him, not some figurehead. And listen, if you are ever here and you feel like Solid Rock has gotten to the point where we're about a person that is not Jesus, you come and talk to a pastor or an elder. We're not cool with that. We want to be a church that makes much of Jesus. We want to be a church that really makes Jesus be the person that the Bible says that he is. Not as if we need, he needs us to do that, but it's because we want to be a church that does that. It's not about us. It's 100% about him. And so as we begin wrapping up this morning, I want to present you with, with a few reflection questions in order that you would engage with what we've talked about this morning. Here's question number one. What are some practical examples from your life that reflect your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints? Remember, that's what, that's what Paul recognized in these Ephesian people. In your context today, what are some things in your life that are contributing to the growth of your faith and the love of others that God is calling you to? If we can help as a church facilitate that in any way because God uses the church to grow the faith of others and to grow the love of others, we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to offer avenues in which that is possible. But please understand, it's not Solid Rock's job to grow your faith single-handedly. God gave us this for a reason. And where we can provide opportunities for you to serve in Bible studies and um, personal prayer or you know, so many other things we have going on here at Solid Rock, that does not substitute personal devotion to Jesus. I promise you there's so many things in his word that can help us grow in our faith in Jesus and our love for others. We just have to look for it. Here's question number two. 
In what ways have you seen God's power at work in your life, both past and present? I hope that when I ask that question, something pops into your mind that you have a very specific and memorable example of God's power at work in your life. And, and if you don't, I promise you it's there. I think we just fail to see it often. But we have to be on the lookout for those situations in which there's no way this could have gone any differently except it was God who made it be different. And for those of us who are Christ followers, I would argue that the most potent way in which God has revealed his power in your life is granting you salvation. He didn't have to do this. He chose to. He chose to rescue us from sin and death. He chose to give us a personal relationship with himself. And man, I'm so glad he did. If that is not evidence of God's power at work in my life, I don't know what is but I'll tell you, there's, there's a lot of other times. And so what are some of, those, some of those examples for you? Maybe, I would encourage you to do this, you get a piece of paper, or you take out your, your iPhone note, no disrespect to Android users, and, and then you just, you just record some of the ways in which God has made his power evident in your life. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids. And man, in those times whenever life is just throwing junk at you and you're over it, take out that list. God's power was at work in this moment, in this moment, in this moment, and I don't have any reason not to believe that he won't be in the next. Would that be an encouragement to you? And then, you know, after you've made that list, thank him for it. Sometimes we often pray for things and then we fail to actually say thank you God <laughs> there's literally no other way that this would have turned out differently except because of you <laughs> and I thank you and then finally here's question number three how does knowing that Christ is exalted above all things affect the way that you live I'll tell you for me this is me this is me confessing to you actually one way in which this affects the way that I live, Christ being exalted above all things, it's a reminder that I don't have to take myself so seriously. Man, if you've known me for more than 15 minutes, you, you probably know that, that I, I don't like to not be in control. But when I think about Christ being exalted above all things, it doesn't matter what it is, Christ is above it, Christ is superior to it, then it reminds me that I, I don't have to be the one in charge. I don't have to be in control all the time. I don't have to rely on my own strength and my own devices. I am simply called to be faithful to where God has me and to trust him with the rest. What about you? How does knowing Christ is exalted above all things affect the way that you live? Does it help you release control? Does it help to encourage you as a reminder that this sin that you're struggling with doesn't own you and you can overcome it through the power of the Holy Spirit? Does it reinforce that your life has meaning and has purpose in Christ? Does it reorient your motive for why you come to church? 
that it's not about a country club experience where we get our ears tickled and get everything that we need, but God has actually called us here for a purpose? Church, let's continue to be like Paul, or maybe better way to put it, it's let's continue to be like Jesus through Paul who remembers one another in our prayers, trusting that the glorious Father will continue to open our spiritual eyes and help us exalt Jesus above all things every single day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, we thank you so much for the spiritual blessings that you give to us undeservedly. We talked about that a lot last week. We even talked about it some this week. There's so many things that you give to us that we often fail to see. We often fail to be thankful for. But Lord, you chose to do those things for us. You chose salvation for your people. You chose to give us a relationship with you. And so, Lord, because of these spiritual blessings that we have, would we be a people, would we be a church that does something with it? Would we be a church that through prayer is thinking about fellow believers, commending them for their growth in, in their faith, in Christ Jesus and for their love for one another? Would we be a church that desires for one another to have our spiritual eyes open that we would grow in our knowledge of who you are, be reminded more and more of what we have in you and that we don't have to trust in ourselves? Lord, we thank you so much for these things that you have given to us, things that we are so unworthy of. And so, Lord, as we move into a time of worship, as we move into a time of response, help us to respond. Help us to remember the power that we have in Christ Jesus, knowing that you, God, have exalted Jesus above everything, so there is nothing in our life that we go through that Jesus isn't bigger than, isn't greater than, and would that be who we cling to today? Lord, be with us now. It's in your name I pray.